and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your humble host, Michael Shibley, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting. Good to be back with you. Another quick one here. We've got a lot of stuff talking about, but I'm feeling a little under the weather this week, so we're just going to pound out some of these big topics. And hey, we got plenty of big topics to talk about, including another brawl in college basketball. You've got the Royal Rumble coming up, and of course you've got everything going on with the Vols and Lady Vols, and you've got the Baseball Hall of Fame. So plenty of great stuff to get to, but let's dive right in, and of course we've got to start with the Super Bowl 54, going to happen down in Miami on February 2nd, but we needed the two teams to get there, and it's going to be a lot of red, as I predicted, on this fine program just not so long ago. But it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers, my beloved 49ers, versus the Chiefs of Kansas City. And again, you had two games here that they just, I predicted these games were going to be a lot better than they were. Heck, I picked the two underdogs to at least cover the spread. Both of the spreads were at 7.5. The Titans and the Packers were both 7.5 point underdogs. And just having it just a little bit more than a touchdown was a little too juicy for me to pass up. And just... They didn't get it done. Uh, You had the two teams that look like, especially going in now, obviously they're the best two teams that were left standing, and you've got the Chiefs and the 49ers. First, let's start with the first game that happened on Championship Sunday. Patrick Mahomes, man, he has been on fire. He is an incredible quarterback, had another wonderful, just great job passing the football, but man, his 27-yard tap dance down the left sideline there late in the first half. That was just, I think, the momentum killer there for the Titans. And they just were not able to get, uh, and they were just able to keep Derrick Henry, who had just been a beast in these playoffs so far, just bottled up as the Chiefs win 35-34 to over the Tennessee Titans. It's only the third time that the Chiefs are Super Bowl bound. And you think, hey, that means they've spread it out over some time. No, 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 no. The Chiefs were in the first Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers. Then they made it to the fourth Super Bowl, which they won. And they haven't been there since then. <laughs> it's Super Bowl 54. They were there for Super Bowl 4. So it's been 50 years since the Chiefs have been here. So hats off to their fans, man. The loyal, dedicated fans. It was great to see with them, so I'm really happy that that happened, oh my goodness, so I'm happy for them, and again, it's been a long time, 50 years again, since the Chiefs uh, beat, with Lamar Hunt, uh, beat uh, the Minnesota Vikings 23-7 back in those wild times back at Super Bowl IV, good times, but wild times back, I don't remember it, I was, uh, Shoot, my parents were nowhere near dating or married or anything like that during Super Bowl IV. So it's been a while. But Mahomes, 294 passing yards and three touchdowns. It's been great just finally getting them to that place. And everybody, again, is excited and happy for Andy Reid finally getting back to his. The last time he was in a Super Bowl was Super Bowl 39 as coach of the Eagles. I mean, they got to so many of those NFC Championship games with the Eagles, but just only got over the hump once. 
and now finally getting back to the promised land. So we'll see what happens. Of course, they awaited the winner of the NFC Championship game between, again, my beloved 49ers and my mom's Green Bay Packers. So it was one of these things where, yes, I would have been disappointed that my 49ers didn't make it to the Super Bowl, but it would have been happy for my mother. I have no ill will with the Packers. And of course, a lot of people were favoring the Packers going into this because they had Aaron Rodgers, which is something, hey, you're you're not going to count the Packers out of anything as long as they've got Aaron Rodgers slinging that football. But the San Francisco 49ers proving that they were too much for the Packers, running it down their throat. 37-20. to 20. The way the 49ers have been running the ball has been amazing. And especially where you have a great story from Raheem Mostert, who is a journeyman running back. I mean, he's been, I think, cut seven different times in his journey through the NFL, but he had 220 yards and four touchdowns, which is one of the best playoff performances by a running back ever. And Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to throw the ball. And then, of course, you had the defense with Nick Bosa, who has just harassed Aaron Rodgers. And it was just, again, one of these games was just a dominating performance by the home team. So it was amazing, especially where you see where the 49ers had been They just won 10 games in the first two seasons with Kyle Shanahan as their coach. Of course, last season, Jimmy Garoppolo got injured early in the season, so the Niners ended up with a number two pick in the draft. They used a good one. They picked Nick Bosa, who's most, if he's not the defensive rookie of the year, something's wrong with all types of voting around the college football or college football, pro football world. But. It's going to be happy to see the Niners are back in the Super Bowl for the seventh time in their history. Of course, the 49ers under Joe Montana won Super Bowls 16, 19, 23, and 24. And then, of course, and that's where my fandom came from because I was born in 1983 in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that's where all that came from where the Niners started winning all these Super Bowls, so I understand all of that and have loved Joe Montana ever since then. Of course, Steve Young famously got the monkey off his back by defeating the San Diego Chargers in Super Bowl 29 to give the Niners their fifth Super Bowl. Then the Niners went through a long dry spell, did not get back to the Super Bowl until under Colin Kaepernick and coach Jim Harbaugh got back there for Super Bowl 47, but losing to Joe Flacco and the Ravens in that one. So they are back in the Super Bowl here at Super Bowl 54. It's going to be another great game. Excited to see where it comes from. Garoppolo, though, just throwing eight passes in the game, which was amazing. 24 minutes of game time between his sixth and seventh passes. Six completions, 77 yards. We'll see what happens there. And I, again, am very happy to see the Niners versus the Chiefs. going to be a lot of red, as I said, in the uh, Hard Rock Stadium there down in southern Florida. It's not officially in Miami, whatever, Miami Gardens, Florida, whatever you have it. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. A couple of things and a couple of storylines real quick. Of course, we're going to dive into this much more next week as we preview the game more. But the early lines have come out. Kansas City is a one-point favorite. The over-under is at 54.5. So you've got that great Kansas City offense and that San Francisco defense are going to go head-to-head. San Francisco has been able to get so much pressure with Bosa and the rest of those guys just rushing four. When you can rush four and you're able to drop back seven like they do so much into coverage, that's what makes it so difficult. 
when you don't have to blitz, and that's how the Giants were able to beat Tom Brady and the Patriots in their two Super Bowls that they played against each other because, again, they could get pressure on Brady without having to give up linebackers or an extra rusher. So we'll see what happens there. Of course, Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback on another level right now, so we'll see where he's going to be at. Again, so excited for this game. Of course, everybody's saying, hey, you know, this could be the start of Patrick Mahomes' just ascension to maybe taking the mantle from Tom Brady and getting to Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Just a quick reminder, everybody thought after Dan Marino's second season, when he got to the Super Bowl against the 49ers in Super Bowl 19, that this would just be the first of a few Super Bowls for Dan Marino. He never got back there. So again, you got to take advantage and grab that brass ring when you get the opportunity. Go and get it. So again, excited for this. Excited, of course, for our great sponsors here with Outlander Media, Joe Shirt, JoeShirt.com. You want to put your logo or any idea you've got for a t-shirt or a banner, hit up JoeShirt.com. Of course, they've got Joe Shirt Deluxe for all the other needs. It's great. We love them. They're local here in Knoxville. They've been doing things for over 30 years. We've got to thank them. And of course, Otherworldly Coffee. Otherworldlycoffee.com. Hit them up. Get some great coffee. It's coffee cocaine. It's amazing. They've got the Dogman blend, the Mothman blend, the Wolfman or the Bigfoot blend and Firebird. Just amazing coffee. Check them out. Again, otherworldlycoffee.com. You go there. You use code OUTLANDER in all caps. It's going to give you a 20% off your order. So thanks to all of those great sponsors, Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee, for their continued support here of Outlander Media. Let's move to another thing that happened. Of course, you've got the Hall of Fame in baseball in Cooperstown, one of the greatest shrines in all of sports. And of course, you had the big news was the leader of this class was Derek Jeter. We all knew he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The question was, was he going to be a unanimous Hall of Famer? Of course, he was one that you thought It was going to happen because especially since Mariano Rivera became the first ever unanimous decision, but no, out of 397 ballots cast by the Baseball Writers Association of America, Derek Jeter got 396. One person deemed that Derek Jeter, who won, what, five World Series and all these other things, my goodness, so much of it. Just great plays and a great, and yes, he plays for the Yankees, so of course there's a reason not to like him. But he did it the right way, played just great his whole career. One person decided he was not worth going in to the Hall of Fame on this ballot. The Baseball Writers Association has driven me nuts for a long time. We talked about it on this fine program back when Rivera became the first unanimous selection. So the fact that he didn't get in for that is just stupid. You might not like him. We don't know who this baseball writer was at this point. We don't have, uh, they haven't given us the name at this point, it's probably someone from Boston. I could be wrong. I'm just guessing at this point. But it's still stupid that you don't put someone in like that, like Ken Griffey Jr. or Mickey Mantle or any of these people, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, any of them. We're not unanimous Hall of Famers. So it's stupid. It's annoying. It's really annoying. It, it, it just makes me shake my head and want to bang it against the wall a lot. But I don't want any more concussions. So we're not going to do that. But, of course, we all knew Derek Jeter was going to get in. So congratulations to him. But the big one to me was the fact that Larry Walker got in on his last shot. Uh, Again, you have only so many years. You're 10. 
uh, 10 years after you're eligible to get in. He got 304 votes, six above the 75% needed. He's up from 54.6% from last year. It's definitely because of the final year of eligibility. Uh, So he got in. It's the highest among the seven players to get into the hall in their last year of eligibility. Uh, Man, it was it was great to see. Uh, And Walker said looks like he had just about kind of given up. Uh, He didn't know that they were going to call or not. And then the phone rang. And he got it. And again, I love those videos and everything you get when you see and they get that phone call knowing that their just life's work is good enough to get in to the Hall of Fame. Then you look, of course, at some of the other players who still have not gotten in yet at this point. Kurt Schilling, uh, he is at 70% of his votes. He's got two more ballot appearances to go. So he should probably get into the next year or so. We'll See what happens with Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, who, again, are just outside of it when you look at everything. So we'll see where they go from there, of course, with the steroids and everything coming in from there. That's going to be what is short. You've also got like Omar Vizquel and Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield. Todd Helton, his former Vol, is still pretty far down. He's only got 30% of the votes at this point. So we'll see where it goes. A couple of other quick notes and facts as we go through Derek Jeter, the ninth player elected to the Hall of Fame after playing exclusively for the Yankees, joining Lou Gehrig, Bill Dickey, Joe DiMaggio, Ernie Combs, Whitey Ford, and Mickey Mantle. So you've also got, and we'll see uh, where some of these guys go at this point, but going into next year, you're going to have two guys Different contrasts, so we'll see where we go. We're there. David Ortiz, I'm very sure he's going to get in on the first ballot. And then, of course, Alex Rodriguez, who has been tied to controversy, especially when it comes to steroids. He served a season-long suspension in 2014 for violations of the drug program and baseball's collective bargaining agreement. So we'll see what happens at that point. Again, I've been one of these guys for a long time, and this includes Pete Rose, But just put these people in with an asterisk. You know, put Shoeless Joe Jackson in for crying out loud at this point. Just put an asterisk and say, hey, these were things that happened that tainted their image and might not be in crystal clear and clean. But, hey, they still deserve to be in for the lifetime of effort that they put in to everything. So that's just my just belief. Put them in, put an asterisk there, and it's going to be okay. Moving on to something that's not very clean and wonderful, it's college basketball and Kansas-Kansas State. It's always been a big rivalry there. Uh, It goes back and forth a lot of times, but the big news, of course, is not the fact that Kansas won the game 81-60 over rival Kansas State, but it's that there was a huge uh, bench-clearing brawl between the two teams right at the end of the game. What ended up happening, for those of you who have not seen the video, and I posted it on the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page, so check it out there. But uh, Silvio Sousa, who, again, was one of these guys, he was gone last year because of eligibility concerns, but they brought uh, brought them back. But um, Dujuan Gordon, the Kansas State player, stole the ball from him as they were running out the clock. The players from both teams had gotten off the bench, and they were heading to do the handshake line at the end of the game because the game was over. The uh, clock was ticking down, but uh, Gordon stole the ball, 
and then went to just lay the ball up right at the end of the game just for garbage points. That didn't matter. But then uh, D'Souza blocked his shot, which, again, happens. But instead of walking away, D'Souza stood over Gordon in a taunting fashion. If you watch the video, you'll see all of this. And then at that point, players from both benches got involved. They came off the bench and started fighting. It didn't even have to do with Gordon and D'Souza. But then what ended up happening was they, uh, Kansas State players, uh, Antonio Gordon and David Sloan went after him, and then there were players from both benches. But uh, you can see in the video, this was what was scary. Was First of all, it spills into the stands behind the basket where, uh, from what I understand, there were um, Kansas students with special needs who were all b- down there. They had seats right there at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. That's not good. But then... You end up with D'Souza, who had already thrown multiple punches, grabbed a stool, and held it above his head. Luckily, someone took it away from him. But using a weapon, that would have not been good. And then you had, of course, it finally got de-escalated and everything. It was it was just one of those things that was annoying. Not annoying. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to college basketball. It's an embarrassment to the coaching staff, who, by the way, you look at the video, the male cheerleaders who were on that sideline where the fight was happening, they were doing a better job of trying to de-escalate the situation at the start than the coaches were, which was embarrassing at that point. But then you've got D'Souza, who's been involved in things. This has not been a rosy time for Kansas basketball. I'm surprised, really, that Bill Self is still coaching there, but he's won national title, so... You're going to give him credit for that. But you had these guys getting there. You had the whole Adidas scandal that's still kind of going on. You had D'Souza's eligibility questions already and then getting back in. And now he's throwing chairs. Yes, there's some people saying he shouldn't play basketball ever again in college. I mean, I was surprised he got his eligibility back, all things considered. But I, I wouldn't suspend him for the whole season. I'd suspend him for probably 10 games. Again, just an ugly scenario there, and it just annoys me there. Yes, and the the dumb idiots on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley, if you want to debate this with me. Yes, I understand that stealing the ball was unnecessary, and you shouldn't have done that. The block the shot, you didn't have to block the shot. Standing over him, you definitely don't do that. But then, of course, the coaches did a bad job of trying to keep the players back on the bench because that's where the trouble started is when the player's coming off the bench and then it spills into the crowd which is just an ugly scene so it's just a mess all around we'll see what happens of course when it comes to suspensions I'm very sure the Big 12 the conference is going to have to get involved here again an ugly situation that shouldn't have happened players just need it's that stupid ego and getting shown up and all that that just drives me insane when it comes to just All these different things. Ugly, ugly fight. Stupid, annoying. And again, grabbing a a stool and trying to hit somebody with it. Think about this. If these... And stop calling them boys. And stop calling them kids. Yes, college kids. They're still adults. They're all over the age of 18 at this point. If this happened in a bar somewhere, guess what? They'd all be going downtown and getting arrested for what they did. And someone throwing punches, guess what? That's assault. So... They're going to sort that all out. You're going to spend some time, at least in jail, until the court case winds its way through. But guess what? You're going to get arrested and have a criminal record 
at least through the process at that point. It might be thrown out. Who knows at that point? But it's still, guess what? That's fighting, and you're going to get arrested if that's not on a basketball court. So we'll see where it all comes out. The reason it's also very important here in Knoxville is because Tennessee is going to Fog Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. So we'll see what players Kansas has left for that game on Saturday as part of the SEC Big 12 contest that they have right here in the middle of the year. Tennessee has been taking care of some business on the basketball court, which has been very nice. Um, Tennessee took care of Vanderbilt. Always good to beat Vanderbilt, which is great. Always love to win there in Memorial Gymnasium, which is a tough place to play. And Tennessee won 60-45. to But the fun part was... Tennessee's defense kept Vanderbilt from making a three-pointer. Why is that important? Vanderbilt was only one of three teams left, including uh, Princeton and UNLV, who had made at least one three-pointer in every game since the rule was introduced back in 1986-1987. So Vanderbilt went 0 for 25 in their home arena. Could not make one. Tennessee, by the way, only made one. So, but Tennessee wasn't trying to make a bunch of three-pointers. They were working the ball down. Rick Barnes had gotten sick of Tennessee's players, especially in that loss they had to Georgia the game prior, just settling for three-pointers, especially early in the game, which let Georgia take control of that game. So he said, work it down low, and Tennessee was able to do that. They got a lot of two-pointers. They won the game handily, but it was amazing to watch the last few minutes of this game as especially the Vanderbilt students and fans, knew what was going on. They knew the record was in danger, and so you had this happening where they're starting to panic, and they were even booing their own players for getting, like, driving layups and dunks because they wanted them to keep the three-point streak alive. You even had Stackhouse, Jerry Stackhouse, the first season there as the Commodores coach. He wasn't happy about the fans booing and more concerned with that three-point streak. He was saying after the game, basically we got down to the end of the game. He hadn't made a three. Fans were more concerned about the threes than us uh, really even getting baskets. Guys were playing their asses off and trying to compete. So it happens, man. I felt for those kids because they were out there playing and trying to compete and trying to do things the right way, and it just didn't work out for them. So it was amazing because there were some fans. You could see uh, ESPN and SEC Network cameras were focused on a lot of these fans who were mad. Like, some of them were really upset about that. And, again, they just couldn't make any. Uh, They did make one, but the shot clock had expired. So... That's not good. What they need to worry about is the fact that Aaron Nesmith, their leading scorer, actually the SEC's leading scorer, isn't coming back for a while. He's probably gone for the rest of the season, so Vanderbilt's got more to worry about there, especially losing five straight that they have. So we'll see where it goes from there. But, hey, as a Tennessee fan, I love seeing Vanderbilt in misery and their fans in misery so that makes me very happy but again Tennessee took care of business over the weekend against Vanderbilt and then of course they also last night defeated Ole Miss 73 to 48 Ole Miss has hit the skids but a Fulkerson he has come on strong had a double double a career high 18 points 16 of them in the first half including 10 rebounds so he has been a big key point especially since Viscovi has come in and also uh, Euros Plavzic has now been added it's really interesting to see again I talked about this on last week's show 
how Rick Barnes has almost been t- having to tinker with the lineup, which is what you do early in the season because we've had these two uh, additions to the squad mid-year. So it's really interesting to see where all that goes. Meanwhile, again, Tennessee, again, beating Vanderbilt, beating Ole Miss. So we've got a nice little winning streak going as Tennessee heads to Fog Allen Fieldhouse to play Kansas. And again, we will see how many players for Kansas are going to play in this game. And of course, we'll talk about all of that on next week's edition of Modern Day Gladiators. Meanwhile, for the Lady Vols, last we left, they took care of the uh, Florida Gators, 78-50. to Then they played Alabama, 65-63, to Tennessee winning the score. But Renaya Davis had to hit an NBA 3, pretty much, with .8 seconds left. Nothing but net. Clutch shot from Davis to win that game. So Tennessee was able to beat Alabama. Looked pretty inconsistent all through that game. But I'm glad Tennessee, hey, it might have been ugly, but they got the win. Which, again, with new coach Kelly Harper, it's good to just get those wins and get that win mentality in and they're going to have to need that mentality because guess what a rivalry has come renewed for the Lady Vols as they head up to Hartford to play UConn for the first time in a long time the rivalry has been renewed Tennessee versus UConn Thursday up in Hartford and again we'll see what happens because Tennessee of course has had with wanting to release transfer players and different things there's still a lot of bad blood stemming of course from Gino Ariema with the late Pat Summit. So we'll see where all this shakes out. Hopefully, I want to see Tennessee and UConn keep playing. That's me as a fan. And again, it helps the good word of women's college basketball getting out there. So that's, again, my take on it. Again, I want to hear your take. You can follow me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley, or of course, follow the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook and Instagram pages as well. So check us out there if you can. And of course, you can follow everybody else at outlandermedia.net where we've got all the other great podcasts in this network. We're taking over the podcasting world, my friends. It's great. We've got, of course, Haffle, DLC Respawn, which I'm going to be a guest on that show coming up in February. Geeks Inherited the Earth. Deadbeat Radio, Scared Stupid, and much more coming. We're taking over the podcasting world in 2020, so join us. And wherever you get your fine podcasts, this is where it's big. Please give us those five-star reviews wherever you listen, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. If you can give us those five-star reviews, I would love you forever. It just really helps us out. Moving on to our final bit of news here in the world of sports and now professional wrestling. It's time for the Royal Rumble, one of my all-time favorite events. I love the Royal Rumble every year. Stemming back to 1992, where Ric Flair went in at number three and won it. I've loved the Royal Rumble, and it sets us on the road to WrestleMania. What's been really upsetting, though, is the fact that there's been just very little build for the match itself. And of course, you just running down the card, it'll be interesting to see where we go, but real quick, we'll run it down. You've got Sheamus finally back in action after some injury issues. He's taking on Chad Gable. Should be a good match, but I've got Sheamus getting the win there. You've got Roman Reigns taking on King Corbin in just a feud that won't end and won't die and is stupid and needs to go away. Hopefully, Roman Reigns wins emphatically, but judging by what I'm going to pick later, it might be King Corbin, but who knows, but... It's stupid. I hate it. You've got some title matches on the line. You've got Asuka challenging Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title. Again, this was something that I wish had happened through the summer after WrestleMania because Asuka beat Becky Lynch, made her tap out to the Asuka lock at last year's Royal Rumble before Becky Lynch got into the Rumble 
and was able to get the win and win the titles, but you still had that happening. And it, it was stupid that Asuka didn't, wasn't immediately able to go out and be like, hey, you lost to me, so we should be fighting over these titles now. But that didn't happen, so now we'll have to see. I do think Becky Lynch is going to win because, again, she hasn't beaten Asuka, so we're going to get Becky Lynch, I believe, getting the win and retaining her championship heading into WrestleMania. You've got Bailey Lynch and Lacey Evans for the SmackDown Women's title. It'll be interesting. Bailey is fine losing the belt, really, at this point. I would love for her and Sasha Banks to be more involved with other things and just being better. They've been just disappointing lately, both of them. So I've got Lacey Evans winning the title. The WWE has gone big on her being a mother and a former Marine. I honestly like this better than her stupid heel character that she had before. So we'll see where that ends up, but I do have Lacey Evans getting the win there. You've got the Universal title on the line as Bray Wyatt is challenging Daniel Bryan in a strap match. For those of you who don't know, strap match. They're tied together with a leather strap, and then you got to touch, be the first to touch all four corners, easy for me to say, all four corners consecutively without having your momentum stopped, which, again, the rules are different in all of those. But we'll see what happens there. I do have Bray Wyatt retaining the belt there. Meanwhile, let's move over to the Royal Rumble matches coming up. You've got the Women's Royal Rumble. Honestly, to me, I think it's easy. Unless they're going to pull the trigger and have Shayna Baszler winning it, I honestly am going with Charlotte Flair. She's won 10 titles already. The only thing she hasn't done in the WWE is win a Women's Royal Rumble, so I've got her winning that. Unless, for some reason, Ronda Rousey returns, and right now I just don't see that happening, but I've got Charlotte Flair getting the win there. The Men's Royal Rumble, the big news, of course, you've got Brock Lesnar entering at number one. So we'll see what happens there. He says he's just going to run through it. That's why, of course, his title isn't on the line. I like the idea, honestly, to have the champion in there like that because then it lets some storylines kind of go through. Like in the G1 tournament they have in New Japan where in one of your matches you pin the champ. Guess what? You're going to probably fight him later on before Wrestle Kingdom. So that's pretty awesome. You're probably going to have somebody eliminate him, whether it be like Cain Velasquez maybe, or something along those lines, maybe Ricochet, who knows, but I think someone eliminates Brock, I don't think he wins, but then you're going to have, I think it's going to be Roman Reigns, because of course we're going to have to have Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns again, because the WWE is going to just keep beating that dead horse, that's my take on it, we'll have to see, or I think if you're going to pick somebody else, maybe Drew McIntyre, Drew McIntyre, I think Again, they've invested so much in him at this point. I would really like someone new to get into that main event scene. And I think Drew McIntyre, the Scottish psychopath, would be perfect for that. So we'll see where all of that goes. I love the Royal Rumble. We will have full updates on all of that, of course, on Modern Day Gladiators in the weeks to come. And, of course, we're going to preview the Super Bowl. Probably going to reach out. Make sure Trey Pack's on the show next week. We'll get him involved and talk about all of this for next week. But until then... Hey, again, follow us on social media. We've got Zion Williamson's debut in the NBA as his Pelicans are taking on the Spurs tonight as we are recording this. So, of course, we'll talk about that on social media and everything going forward. But until next time, of course, please like, subscribe, share, give us those five-star reviews. Too sweet. See you next week. Love you. Bye.